Can I welcome our guests watching live on Instagram, on Facebook Live, on YouTube, and listening on podcast. It's good to have you with us, and we really do appreciate you taking the time. If you couldn't physically make it in, God bless you. Today, I want to just talk briefly about what I'm calling our childhood baggage. I grew up in a home here in Cork, and my dad became what was known as a pioneer when he was 12. And in a Catholic background here in Ireland back then, you made a vow before God and before the church that you would never allow a drop of alcohol to pass your lips for your entire life. And my dad kept that promise. He never took any alcohol. He would wear his pioneer pin. You don't see them anymore, but he would wear it everywhere. A lot of people did it back then. He never took drugs. He never gambled. He never was a womanizer. He really was straight and narrow in many ways. But my dad was still an addict. He was addicted to work. So growing up in my home, my father could never rest. And he couldn't understand if we didn't want to be like him. We had to always keep working. He hated Christmas. He hated summer holidays because he couldn't work. He was driven, driven, driven to work. And even to this day, sometimes I have to stop myself because I measure my day by what I do. And sometimes God says, enough. You see, it's not what we do, that's part of it, but it's who we are. And my father could never grasp the concept of a Sabbath, of having a day of rest. It just wasn't in his soul. So to come to today's word, I got a lot of baggage, screwed up a bit, from my childhood because of that. Now you may have grown up in a totally different home where that wasn't an issue. The thing is, I've never met a human being in all my years who didn't have some kind of baggage from their childhood. It could have been mum or dad, could have been a brother or a sister, could have been a teacher, could have been a friend, could have been the neighborhood, could have been anything. The wonderful good news today is all the hurt or all the mixed up feelings and emotions and thoughts that we bring with us into adulthood, we can surrender them to Jesus Christ and he can heal us. He heals minds, he heals hearts, he heals bodies, hallelujah. So I wanna look at two short pieces of the Bible, of scripture. Sometimes I like to read the Old Testament and the New Testament um, side by side. And I do that because the Old Testament is a foreshadow of what was to come and the New Testament was the living reality of Christianity. And I was uh, a couple of months back reading two different portions of scripture you wouldn't normally put together, but I felt the Holy Spirit prompt me to say, speak on these together. So we're going to look at that today and the two short portions of scripture are from 1 Samuel 9 and also from Acts 13. And... Uh, I think it's very interesting what's going on. So 1 Samuel 9, we're going to start with that and then move into just one verse in Acts 13. But I pray, living God, would your word come alive in every soul here? Amen. Would you nourish us, feed us, and set us free? Amen. In Jesus' name. Amen. 
Amen. Amen. Amen. In the Old Testament, in 1 Samuel 9, God had a calling on a young man's life to become the king of the nation of Israel. And it was the very first king. And this was God ordained. It's a bit more complicated if you look into it, but for today, this was called by God. And so the great prophet Samuel called together the whole nation, huge crowd of Israel, and they met to choose a king. This is what happened. All the people of Israel gathered together for their first king to be chosen. The tribe of Benjamin was chosen by Lot, or Dice, out of the 12 tribes. Then the clan of Matrites was chosen out of all the clans of Benjamin. Finally, Saul, son of Kish, was chosen from all the men in that clan. But when the people called for Saul to come forward, he couldn't be found. So they prayed, and the Lord answered them, saying, He's hiding behind the baggage. Then they took him away from there and shouted aloud, Long live the king! And so Saul became the very first king of the nation of Israel. I'm going to focus on one or two short things. Call Saul. They couldn't find Saul because he was hiding behind the baggage. Now, you might say that's just because he was shy. It can happen to anyone. You're overwhelmed when you're catapulted into everyone's attention. You see, the Bible isn't just linear. It's not just this happened and this happened and this happened. We have in, in Greek, it's called the Logos, the written word of God. That's the Bible. But the Bible isn't just history. The Bible is a spiritual book. Who'd say amen? amen? And the Greek word is rhema, the living word. Sometimes a verse from the Bible comes alive in your life. If you have ears to hear. And that word comes alive and just an ordinary happening begins to speak to us. And I sense that, that the Holy Spirit who put, who guided the men who were writing the Bible, he didn't just have this verse here by accident. It was there for a purpose. It was prophetic about what was to come because Saul never dealt with his baggage. And the fact that he hid behind the baggage is so, so relevant. If we go on, we'll see. Look at this. Let's take a look at who he was. We're told Saul's father was a very wealthy man. His father was called Kish. In Cork, he was known as Kish the Fish. But anyway, his dad was a very wealthy man. So Saul grew up with loads of money. There was never a problem at home paying any bill. There was always plenty of food, plenty of shelter, plenty of servants to do whatever you wanted. They had no shortage of money. He was well off. That's the first thing we know about him. The next thing we know in 1 Samuel 9-2 is that it tells us Saul was a very handsome young man. In fact, there wasn't a man among all the Israelites more handsome than he was. And then on top of that, we're told, Saul was also head and shoulders taller than any other man in Israel. We hate him already, don't we? 
I remember we had a guy in our class in secondary school. All the girls were mad about him. They said he was so handsome, I never got it myself. But anyway, the girls were after him. He was a great rugby player. He was stocky, he was tall, brilliant sportsman. He usually came first in every exam in the class and his family were very wealthy. We hated him. <laughs> I still repent to this day. <laughs> Whoever was dishing out all the gifts, he was just first in the queue, you know, that kind of thing. The other thing though is he was a really nice guy and you couldn't hate him. Anyway, you don't want him in the church, you really don't. So if you met Saul, you'd go, wow, you're tall, wow, you're good looking. And you'd look at his clothes and he'd have the latest designer clothes and the latest uh, runners or whatever. And you'd go, man, he's got money. You'd say, this guy's got everything going for him. What kind of baggage does he have? He doesn't have the baggage of rejection that people laughed at his face. Nobody called him, I don't know, the smally boy that he was too short. Or they never said, oh, look at his clothes. He doesn't have enough money to buy the latest tracksuit or whatever. No, he had all the advantages. The thing is, when you read the Bible and you look into his background, let's make him alive. We also know that Saul was a very unstable man, emotionally and mentally. Now, there's nothing wrong with being unstable or any issue. There's nothing wrong with having an addiction. There's nothing wrong with feeling suicidal. What's wrong is if we just leave it there. What God wants us to do is to bring it before him and surrender it to him who will say amen. amen. When we surrender, when we give God our wounds, there's great hope. It doesn't matter how unstable anyone is. God can heal. God can cause us to recover. God can renew us. And this is the great hope of Jesus Christ. We're not just here having a good time, though we are having a good time. We're here because we know Jesus Christ changes lives. Hallelujah. And back then, this guy was unstable, but he never dealt with it. He never surrendered it to God. He was given every possible opportunity in life. But something in him wouldn't trust God. And that's the essence of not dealing with our baggage. We want to hold on to our own hurt. No, it's my mother did that to me. Or my dad never showed me any love. Or, or whatever. Or my teacher brutalized me. I don't know. But we hang on to it. And that's saying, God, I don't really trust you. I don't really trust you that you can help me with this. Look at an example, and there's many, of how Saul never dealt with his baggage. We know, everybody knows the story of David and Goliath, the small little teenage boy, who when all the big armies of Israel were afraid of a guy called Goliath, he was seven feet, muscles, hairy old fella, he killed everyone. And this young, thin teenage boy comes with his sling, and he kills the giant dead. What happened after that is the number one song on ancient Israeli Spotify was Saul has killed or overcame his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. All the girls were singing that. This was Saul's reaction. Saul said, 
everyone's saying that David has overcome tens of thousands and that I've only overcome thousands. Soon he'll try and take my kingdom. The next day, as David was playing the harp, trying to calm Saul down, Saul threw a spear at David, trying to kill him. I've known fathers who tried to kill their sons. I've known brothers trying to kill one another. When the evil one gets into a family, or one side of a family, he can cause death. So Saul never surrendered his wounds to God, never allowed God to come in. Prophetically, he was hiding behind his baggage right at the beginning. Nobody could find him, but God found him. God told him that was his opportunity. He could have made a decision that day and begin a healing process, but he held on to it. And so Saul never dealt with his baggage. How did he end up? Saul was badly wounded at the battlefield, 1 Samuel 31, 3 and 4 says. He said to his servant, kill me now. I don't want the enemy to capture me. But his servant wouldn't do it. Therefore Saul killed himself. Even to his death, he was a coward. Even to his death, he was insecure. Even to his death, he had this big ego. He didn't want anything to happen to him. He wanted to remain in control. Don't let the enemy, don't let the, the other army get me. He wanted to be in control the whole time. You know what the, the happiest people I know in my life, the most liberated people I know, those who give away control. Not to man, but to God. You give the control to God, and God blesses you. And you're set free. Julie was talking about it during the worship. But the people who try to control everything, we deal with nothing and we go through life with a wound and we will end our days. And I prophesy this, you or I will die holding on to that control. But today we have an opportunity to give it over to God. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's look at the New Testament, just one verse and contrast that. The context of the New Testament is based in a church called Antioch. So the very first Christian church was in Jerusalem. Great church. And then a persecution came. All the believers scattered. And spontaneously a new church started in Antioch, which is now Syria. What a powerful church. Miracles. Prophesying. Loads of people. It's like the church in Ireland today. People from all over the world were in Antioch. It was the third biggest city in the Roman Empire. And you had every nationality, every background. And you know what? It didn't make any difference. They were all together because they were all washed in the blood of Jesus. And the blood of Jesus washes away every difference. There is neither Jew nor Greek, it says. There is neither Nigerian nor Filipino, Irish or German. We're all one in Jesus. Who we'll say amen? There is neither male nor female, wealthy or poor, educated or illiterate. It doesn't matter. What matters is your heart and my heart. 
And so great things are happening in this church. And God began to move. And, and then the apostle, or Luke, who was a doctor, a physician, he was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write the book of Acts. And he gives us this little insight about the leaders in the church in Antioch. It mentions five of them here. And we're told, Acts 13 too. In the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, and he names them Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a childhood friend of Herod, and Paul. Now, the first guy, Barnabas, and the last guy, Paul, most of us know. They're mentioned a lot in the Bible. Barnabas was from Cyprus, Paul was from Tarsus in Turkey. And God used them to plant or start new churches. And it was into this that the other three guys prophesied over them. And the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Paul and Barnabas for the work I've called them to do. So they started loads of churches. And from all those churches over the last 2,000 years, churches like you're sitting in today have come. And you can trace it back to a prophetic word given by these three guys. We wouldn't be in this building today. This is all part of God's plan. Mm. And look what it says. It tells us about the three. The first guy, and they're only mentioned one, Simeon, who was called Niger. Now, this wasn't a racist term. Simeon was a black man. And it's a bit like um, one of the most famous Vikings was known as Eric the Red because he had red hair. This was just a physical description, but he was one of the leaders in the church in Antioch, a powerful church, hallelujah. Mm -hmm. And so this was a description. So Luke, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, gives us maybe what he looked like. The next guy, Lucius of Cyrene, he just tells us where he came from. Remember, nobody had surnames back then. There was no Tom Burke or Michael O'Donovan or whatever. They would say, Tom from Cork, or um, Ivan from, I don't know, Sao Paulo, I can't remember Ivan, where you come from in Brazil. They, they would say something like that, or they would, say, they would say, John the tall guy, or whatever. So Lucius came from Cyrene, which is Libya, and then the guy I want to look at, and Manan, a childhood friend of Herod, of Herod, probably heard of him. There were three in the New Testament, a grandfather, a son, and a grandson. One was as evil as the next. Let's look at it. Menaean was a childhood friend of Herod, it tells us. Does that mean occasionally they had a game of soccer or something? Or they played with their toys once a week? This is what we can think when we read of a lot of versions from the Bible. We need to go back to the language it was written in and the culture. First of all, Menaean, it means one who comforts, a comforter. But childhood friend basically means a foster brother. What they would do, the Herods were kings of Galilee. They were under the Roman emperor. But they were the kings, or the tetrarchs was the word also used. And what they would do is from the elite of society. Boys were taken from their parents, the parents would be delighted, and they would live with the upcoming king, the prince, let's call him. 
and they were educated the same way, they ate together, they would have slept in adjoining rooms, they had the same values, the same warnings, the same encouragements, the same cultural background, they were raised the same way. And yet Herod turned out very different from this guy Manan. Here's two short examples. Herod had John the Baptist, Herod Antipas, this is the guy, he had John the Baptist beheaded, put his head on a plate, giving it to the girl. He was sexually obsessed with an underage girl. So much so that he ended up beheading the man of God, John the Baptist, to keep her and her mother happy. Our Luke 23, Herod and his soldiers treated Jesus with contempt, mocking him and dressing him up in a fancy costume for fun. Herod had a, a fake or sham trial for Jesus Christ before he was crucified. So this is Herod. This is the family. And yet what we see is two boys with exactly the same upbringing. One became a monster and the other one became a church leader. I remember being 9 and 10 and 11, and to all the lads I would grow up with, we'd say, what do you want to be when you grow up? Everyone said, professional soccer player. Nobody ever was, but that's what they said. Or I'm going to be a pop star. Nobody said, I'm going to be an accountant. <laughs> or anything like that. But I can imagine how these two guys grew up together. One becomes a monster and the other one becomes a church leader. The church leader is someone who prophesies. The church leader is someone who laid down his life, because that's what was happening in Antioch. Um, Menaean just gave his life for the things of God, whereas Herod was totally narcissistic. He was utterly obsessed with himself. It was all about his pleasure, and he didn't care what he did to anyone else. How could two people with the same upbringing, education, background, cultural contacts, Turn out so different. I'll tell you why. Menaean surrendered to Jesus Christ. He asked God to help him. He would have invited the Holy Spirit in to help him to become the person he was called to be. But Herod had no interest at all. Brothers and sisters, you and I are called to deal with our baggage from childhood. Many of you have done it, but you know what? We need to keep going back to that place sometimes. And many of us maybe have never considered it. I like what Professor Lucien Hennessen says, unpack your baggage so your kids don't have to carry it. She uh, really makes sense. I've seen it, you've seen it. The same things happen in families. Alcoholism, depression, suicide, <coughs> out of control sexuality, Love of money, gambling, we can go through them all. All of our families have something, and you can see it going from grandfather to daughter to son, and it keeps repeating in generations. The Jesus Christ I know heals the family tree. Amen. He sets the generations free. But that generation has to make a decision. I am surrendering and giving control to Jesus Christ. I'm not going to let all the baggage in my family destroy my future. Who will say hallelujah? hallelujah.
the future in a way is in our hands choose you this day the way that you will go Amen. will you choose life yes. Yes. will you choose death because Saul with his arrogance and his ego and his insecurity and his vanity he chose death he didn't think he was but he did Herod chose death and that whole family were destroyed in the end because God's judgment came upon them but look at Menahem. Look at the legacy he left. Look at the legacy you can leave. Because God has a destiny for you. God was calling Saul to kingship. He was calling him to his destiny. God is calling you. You might say, I'll never get up and speak or sing on the stage. That doesn't matter. God has a whole load of callings for every part of the Christian church. He can do so much in you, in here and outside of here. But God has a destiny for every one of us. Are we going to rise up to our destiny or are we going to hide behind our baggage? Because there's death back there, but there's life with Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Let me read the final scripture. This is from Isaiah. Whatever happened before, you don't need to let that define you. Praise God. And God is giving a promise here in Isaiah. See, I'm doing a new thing in you. I'm making a way through your desert, streams of water in your wasteland. And this is what the Lord is saying. I had a bit of a wasteland at the age of 19. And when I came to Jesus Christ, I knew that I knew that I knew that if I didn't surrender to him, if I didn't invite God by his Holy Spirit to heal me, I'd end up like my dad. And my dad lived a long life and, and, and he was working up to the age of 85, but nobody wanted to be with him. Nobody wanted to be with him. He repelled everyone. And maybe I'm a bit screwed up the other way, I don't know. But I do know this, Jesus Christ is changing me every day of my life. He's healing me, he's making me new. He wants to do it to you and he wants to do it to me. Maybe the band would come up, guys. So brothers and sisters, what is your childhood baggage? Because you got it. And you probably, some of you prayed it before. It's no harm to say it again. Because the old man can keep trying to banging at our door and come back in. We need to keep coming, refreshing, letting the Holy Spirit fill us again. We need to be renewed. Hallelujah. Amen.